Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. Has anyone ever heard of something called the miracle of Dunkirk? Anyone? Anthony at the back, his hand raised very quickly. A few other people. Uh, So the miracle of Dunkirk refers to that time in the Second World War, 1940, where the German kind of troops had pushed the British army the whole way back into northern France. And the, the British army is like confined to this tiny little bit around the town of Dunkirk in northern France, back to the sea. And basically they're basically going to get defeated and everyone expects it. Winston Churchill is, is, is basically preparing to announce an unprecedented catastrophe. So 338,000, a third of a million troops are about to be captured. Something like this has never happened before. So he, like he's preparing his speech for it, but it didn't happen. And the reason it didn't happen came because of a, a series of quite interesting events. On Sunday the 23rd of May in 1940, the King of England, King George, announced a national day of prayer. He basically told the nation, I need you all to pray that these soldiers would get rescued. And the nation didn't disappoint. They showed up. And I think we have a picture here. These are queues outside of cathedrals, outside of a cathedral. There are pictures of this up and down the nation that, that day of people queuing outside church just to come and pray that these soldiers would be rescued. Now, that was a Sunday. Shortly after that, for some reason, nobody knows why, Hitler inexplicably ordered his advancing German troops to stop attacking the British for three days. His generals were so annoyed because they could see no reason for this. And people to this day still aren't quite sure why he did it. He stopped the Germans attacking for three whole days. Then, and the prayer time was on a Sunday. Then on the Tuesday, there was really bad weather. So bad that the German Air Force, the Luftwaffe, couldn't take off and attack the soldiers from the air. And then the next day, on Wednesday, there was exceptionally calm sea conditions, which enabled all the boats to come in and rescue the soldiers. Now, as a result of all three of those things coming together, 338,000 soldiers, pretty much the entire army, were rescued and catastrophe was avoided. Basically, the nation prayed, God moved, and what happened as a result has become known as the miracle of Dunkirk. Even Winston Churchill, who was renowned for not being very religious at all, actually referred to it as the miracle of Dunkirk. He was just astounded at how it had happened. He just could see no other way how it could have happened. And you know, sometimes there are events in life that remind us of the sovereignty of God, that he has supreme power and authority. And this is definitely, in my opinion, one of those events. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. I want to talk about the sovereignty of God, which means that God has supreme power and authority over everything and everyone. So that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Now, this morning, uh, for those of you who haven't been here, this is the last in our Joseph sermon series that we've been doing over this whole term. 
And this morning we're going to be looking at Genesis chapter 50. If you've got your Bibles, you can get out to that. Genesis chapter 50, verses 15 to 26. It will appear on the screen, um, or you can follow along in your Bibles. But it's basically the final chunk of the book of Genesis. And in it, we get the most famous line in the whole Joseph story. Okay, this is the Hollywood line. This is the big one. This is the, when someone writes a book on this, this is the line they stick on the front of the book. And it's this. Basically, Joseph says to his brothers, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. And we see so clearly here in this passage we're going to look at this morning and in the whole book that God had his hand on this whole story. He was in complete control of Joseph's life and what happened to him. So we're going to read the passage just now, um, but just just I'll get you up to speed with where we are in the story if you haven't been here for the series. Basically, it's 17 years after Joseph had the amazing reunification with his brothers where he reveals who he is and they cry and they make up and there's tears and everyone's happy. This is 17 years after that. Joseph's dad, Jacob, and his brothers, they've moved to Egypt and they've been living there as one big happy family in Egypt for 17 years. And at the end of 17 years, Joseph's dad, Jacob, dies. Jacob, jo- Joseph's dad, Jacob, dies. Uh, he was an old guy, so it was kind of expected. And then what happens is um, they kind of take Jacob and they bury him. His final um, request was that he be buried in Canaan, back where he had, he had come from. So they have this huge funeral procession, goes from Egypt back to Canaan. I've got this kind of grainy little artistic depiction of what that may have looked like. Probably may have looked anything like that, but anyway, it was the closest I could get. But all the pomp and ceremony, all the people who were anyone in Egypt went to this funeral back in Canaan for Jacob. So funeral over, Jacob's dead. That's where we pick up this story in this final section. So I'm going to read Genesis 50 verses 15 to 26. Let's read that together. Start in verse 15. It says this, When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, What if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph saying, Your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you're to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now, please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We're your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done. The saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Joseph stayed in Egypt along with all his father's family. He lived 110 years and saw the third generation of Ephraim's children, his son, and also the children of Machir, son of Manasseh, his other child, were placed at birth on Joseph's knees. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will surely come to your aid and take you up out of this land to the land he promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And Joseph made the Israelites swear an oath and said, God will surely come to your aid. And then you must carry my bones from this place. So Joseph died at the age of 110. And after they embalmed him, he was placed in a coffin 
in Egypt. So there you have the end of the Joseph story. Uh, Lots of ups, lots of downs, lots of highs and lows and good things and prison and lots of adventures. But I think you'll agree if you've you've kind of been kind of coming along and listening to this series, you can see the hand of God right throughout this whole story. You can see the sovereignty of God right throughout this whole story. God is in control in this story. And I, I think there's some implications. I just want to draw out of this story for us this morning. Just two things I want to share with us this morning. Two things I think that apply to us from this story. The first thing is God's sovereign, so we don't have to be afraid. That's one implication of God being sovereign. And the second thing is God is sovereign, so let's cling to God's promises. He's in control and he's promised some stuff. These things are going to happen, so let's cling on to those things. So that's the two things I want us to focus on this morning, and then we'll finish and I'll hand back to Mark. So first thing, God is sovereign, so we don't have to be afraid. I met with a friend uh, last week uh, on his lunch break uh, from work. We went for a walk on his lunch break, and he shared with me how he just had a a meeting with his boss about a promotion and the meeting really didn't go very well. It was kind of like an informal interview and it really didn't go well. And he starts talking, he says, Andy, uh, what if I never get this promotion? What if, what if I always stay where I am in my job? What if they realize that because I've always stayed where I am in my job, I'm not actually very good at my job? What if when they realize I'm not very good at my job, they actually get rid of me and sack me? What if, if I lose my job, uh, then I can't find another job? What if, I, what if I don't find another job? How will I like, make ends meet and how will I pay for things? If I can't pay for things, what if? And basically, it was what if, what if, what if, what if. And I had to just be like, you know, really nicely kind of say, all right, shut up now and listen to some stuff. But, you know, anyone ever done that? I mean, I know I have. You know, you kind of, what if, what if, what if, and you just go down the rabbit hole and you just need someone to grab hold of you and speak a bit of truth into your life. But this is exactly what Joseph's brothers do when Jacob dies. They start to overthink things, basically thinking worst case scenario, you know? What if Joseph hasn't really forgiven us? You know, what if he's only pretending, you know, the last 17 years, he's just been doing all this to keep our dad happy. You know, what if he's going to finally get us back now that Jacob's gone? Um, and, and, you, and to be honest, they probably, the brothers probably came a bit of an echo chamber, you know, getting themselves more and more worked up the more they talk to each other. You ever done that? Being anxious about someone and you talk to someone and you know, they're just the wrong person to talk to because they're like, they're more anxious than you. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm worried about money. Oh, well, you should be. You know, it's like, it's like oh, you know, and you'd leave and you're 10 times more anxious than when you went first. And that's kind of what happened with the brothers here. They talk to each other and it's doing them no good. They're getting more anxious as they talk to each other. So what they decide to do, they get together. And whenever you hear this in the Joseph story, Joseph's brothers got together, you know, and, and decided to do something. It normally means what happened wasn't good. They didn't come up with a lot of good things when they got together. But they got together and they decided to manipulate the situation to cover their backs. And how they go about this is they, they invent some final instructions from their dad, basically saying that Joseph should forgive them for what they've done wrong. Now, I remember reading this and thinking, if I was in Joseph's shoes, I would have got pretty angry with my brothers for doing this. Anybody else the same? Yeah, your brothers have made this up. And you can see right through it. You know they've made it up. 
I'd have been pretty angry at them at this point. I'd be like, come on, guys. It's been 17 years. I forgive you 17 years ago. Let the thing go. You're forgiven. Move on. I mean, that, that probably would have been me. I mean, but and maybe some of us as well. But, but Joseph doesn't say any of that. Instead, what does he do? Verse 17, he weeps. He cries. Why? Because he's sad that after all these years, his brothers still feel they need to resort to this. And then the brothers, as we read in the passage, they come and they throw themselves down before Joseph and say, we're your slaves. You know, third time they've bowed down to him. And Joseph, I love how he responds. He responds by saying, don't be afraid. Notice, he actually says, don't be afraid twice. Verse 19 and verse 21. Now, the first time he says, don't be afraid, verse 19, it's followed by the phrase, am I in the place of God? Don't be afraid, am I in the place of God? And he's saying here to his brothers, look, you don't need to be afraid because I'm not God. I'm not your judge, God is. And he's saying, look, yeah, you've done wrong to me, but I've forgiven you. Like, I really have, I genuinely have forgiven you. And God has taken this bad thing and he's used it for good. He's saying, look, we're good, it's okay. You see, Joseph's brothers had lost sight of their forgiveness. And as a result, they were afraid. Joseph's brothers had lost sight of their forgiveness. And as a result, they were afraid. But you know, can't we often do the same thing? You know, lose sight of our forgiveness from God? You know, when we, when we accept God's offer of forgiveness, when we become Christians, it, what it does is it opens the door to a whole lot of really good things. You know, when we accept God's offer of forgiveness, it opens the door to a relationship with God. It opens the door to knowing God, being a child of God, to knowing that God is preparing a home for us. It opens the door to knowing that he's with us, that he has a plan for us and that we're in his hands and that nothing can separate us from him. God's forgiveness opens a door to all of these things. And these are precisely the things that are our security in life as Christians. These are the things that we can build our lives on. These are the things that don't shift and don't change. These are the things that are foundational. But when we lose sight of our forgiveness, it then opens the door to losing sight of all these other things too. And then what happens? A bit like Joseph's brothers, we have to come up with our own plan to try and find some security in life, which doesn't work so well. Because the things we try and find security in are fragile. And when, when the thing that we've placed our hope in, the thing we've placed our security in, gets threatened, then what happens is, and I'm sure all of us have experienced this, then what happens is we get anxious. We get anxious. See, when we put our security in, you know, people's approval, when we put our security in being successful, when we put our security in doing our job well, when we put our security in, I don't know, having the perfect family, when we put our security in, in, in having a certain standard of living, when these things get threatened, you know, our child misbehaves or we lose some money or we make a mistake at work or, or somebody doesn't like us, lo and behold, someone doesn't <laughs> like us. And when, when these things get threatened, then what happens is we get anxious, why? Because our security in life has been threatened. 
For Joseph's brothers, their security in life was their dad, Jacob. He's gone now. They're nervous. They're anxious. They're worried. American pastor and uh, hospital chaplain Steve Cuss says this. Anxiety can be an early detection system that we're depending on something other than God for our well-being. And I know I have found that to be true in my life. And when that happens, okay, when we get anxious about something, it's actually an opportunity. It's an opportunity, not to manipulate the situation like Joseph's brothers. It's an opportunity for us to come back to God and recommit ourselves back to him. Steve Cuss continues, he says, One effective tool that has helped drive this home for me is a simple prayer I frequently offer to God. Is this, Jesus died so I don't blank anymore. Now for each of us, the blank is different. For me, it is usually some variation of Jesus died so I don't have to seek people's approval anymore. Or Jesus died so every sermon doesn't have to be gold standard anymore. I don't know what it is for you. But I find that really helpful for me when the anxiety comes and it reveals what I'm looking to. That's not God to just step back and say, you know what? Jesus died. So I don't have to do that anymore. Jesus died. So I don't have to serve at that altar anymore. Our anxiety can highlight the the things we've made our security in life. And what we do is when we take what we've made our security and we look at it in the light of the forgiveness we've received through Jesus, then I've found for me, certainly, it's really helpful to reorientate things, to put things back the right way. Got it, number one. Okay, so that's the first, the first thing Joseph says. Do not be afraid. The second time Joseph says, do not be afraid, it's followed by by this. He says, do not be afraid to his brothers. I will provide for you and your children. You know, often we can doubt the provision of God, can't we? You know, we can doubt that he will provide, that he will look after us. You know, we we can say the right thing in church, but in our hearts we're like, yeah, but. But you know, the the, the bottom line is God will provide everything you need to walk faithfully faithfully with him until your very last day on this earth. He will give you strength. He will give you perseverance. He will give you encouragement. He will give you everything you need to keep walking faithfully with him. But on top of that, and I'm sure we've all got examples, on top of that, he's actually often provides us a whole lot more stuff rather than just what we need. There's a whole lot of extras God gives too which is great. Now, will God provide everything to make you really comfortable in life? Maybe not, because comfort isn't his goal. Character is. He's never promised that. Will God provide everything you think you need as a Westerner living in the first world? You know, I can't live without my Nespresso machine. You know, is is God going to provide you everything you need as a Westerner living in the first world? Maybe not but he will provide you what you need. Philippians chapter four, verse 19 says, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. So we don't need to be afraid. We're in a cost to living crisis. We don't need to be afraid. Because why? Because we have a God who provides what we need. Amen? Amen. Amen. I know sometimes I just have to have an amen. And I think that was one of those lines. Yeah. In many cases, God gives us more than we need. 
You know, there are some people, it's been great to hear about Give Big there, and you know, there's some people in church who have been extravagantly generous in our, in our recent Give Big special offering. Now, these are people who are not rich, not with big salaries, but they have given a lot. Now, why have they given a lot? Well, there could be lots of different reasons, but I think one of the reasons is because they're not afraid. That's why they've given generously, because they're not afraid, because fear causes us to batten down the hatches. Fear causes us to be defensive. Fear causes us to be like, I'm not giving anything. I need to keep everything for myself. That's what fear does. And I think one of the other reasons why people have been incredibly generous is because they trust that God provides. When we trust that God provides, it opens us up to others. It does the opposite of fear. It opens us up to others. It opens us up to be generous to others, no matter what our situation is in. One of the things, Colin, who used to be our senior pastor here, one of the things that most moved him in probably the last 10 years is when some of the poorest people in our city organized themselves to do a special collection to send money to India. They were planting a church. And like Colin was in tears. He's like, these people have very little, but they're taking what they have and they're giving it to others who have less actually. But it was just a wonderful thing. They trusted that God provides and they were not afraid. So we don't have to be afraid because God is sovereign. He is our security and he provides everything we need. Amen? Amen. Yes. So let's, let's not live our lives by fear, but let's live our lives by faith. Faith in our sovereign, all-powerful God. We want to be salt and light in this society. Let's live by faith, not by fear, especially with the, the environment that we're living in. So that's the first thing. So God being sovereign means we don't have to be afraid. Secondly, God being sovereign means we can cling to the promises of God. A week or two ago, I told Max, Max, I am going to get you, Max is five, I'm going to get you, Max, a really good Christmas present. He was like, wow, how good, this good. I was like, more this good more this good that good yeah yeah i was like i was like max it's going to be really big how big this big this big bigger max your arms don't even this big. Whoa. i was like Dad, what will the wrapping paper be i was like, i have no idea i'm not going to wrap it but <laughs> i was like oh okay that's not a good question he's like oh well um, what will my face be like when I get this present, and I was like, it'll be like this, whoa! And, and then he did it himself, like, whoa! And you know, basically what he's doing there is he's just clinging to the promise that I'm going to get him a Christmas present. That's what clinging to a promise looks like. And I better not disappoint him, or that's going to be tough. It's got to be a good present, right? But you know, in verse 24 of our, our passage here, we see the promise that Joseph clings to. He says to his brothers, just as he's about to die at the ripe old age of 110, he says this, but surely God will come to your aid and take you up out of this land to the land he promised on oath to Abram, Isaac, and Jacob. And what he's doing is here, he, he clings here to the promise that one day God will take them back to the land that they were promised. 
Now, at this point in the story, Joseph and his family are some of the wealthiest, most respected, most powerful people in all of Egypt. And Egypt then was a very wealthy country. But Joseph doesn't get sidetracked or blinded by all the wealth and prosperity that he has. No, he remembers that their destiny as a family, as a people, is not not just a comfortable life in Egypt. Their destiny is to live in Canaan, the land promised to them by God. And, you know, I think there's a lesson in here for all of us. You know, we too can easily get sidetracked by a comfortable life, can't we? And we think that's what it's all about subconsciously. But our destiny is not this life on this earth. We have a promised land too. So let's remember God's promises that reach far beyond our current situations and are far bigger than us and far bigger than this life. Let's remember those promises. Let's cling to them. So I'm just going to throw up on the screen here a few promises that God has given us, promises that we can cling to. All right, just there's 12 of them. I'm just going to read them. And just cling to these. God has promised salvation to all who believe in Jesus. God has promised all things work out for the good of his children. God has promised comfort in our trials. God has promised new life in Christ. God has promised every spiritual blessing in Christ. God has promised to finish the work he started in us. God has promised to supply all our needs. God has promised rest for those who come to him. God has promised he will never leave us nor forsake us. God has promised abundant life to those who follow him. God has promised eternal life to all who trust in him. And finally, God has promised he will return for us. Now those, they're promises that you can cling to. Okay, they will happen. Just like God did come to his people's aid and brought them out of Egypt, these promises will happen, okay? You can bank on that. So let's cling to them. Let's cling to those promises like my son Max clings to a promise about a Christmas present. Feel free to pray to God and be like, how awesome will it be when you return? This awesome, this awesome, this awesome. You know, like if you see someone praying and they're doing that, and kind of, you'll know what they're doing. But you know, how amazing is heaven going to be, God? This amazing, this, ah, your arms don't stretch that long. You know, how good is the rest going to be that we get for those who come to you? You know, it's going to be like, this, good, oh, this good. How good is that rest going to be? You know, cling to the promises of God. Hold on to them. Look to them. <coughs> So God is sovereign, so we don't need to what? We don't need to? We don't need to worry, yeah. Instead, what do we cling to? Promises of God, yeah. God is sovereign, so we don't need to worry. Let's cling to the promises of God. You know, in verse 24 there, where when Joseph says, God will come to your aid, you know, that's speaking prophetically about about the exodus, which would happen 400 years later. But it also points to God coming to our aid in an even greater way many years after that, sending his son into this world to to die on a cross for our sin so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be welcomed into his family and and one day go be with him in heaven after a time in this earth ends. It speaks of that as well. And, you know, I was thinking this week, about those British soldiers, you know, rescued from those beaches in northern France in 1940. I mean, how thankful must they have been to the people in those little boats who came and rescued them? 
And, and how overjoyed must they have been when they finally made it back home? I mean, it must have been unparalleled joy and just relief. And yet we have been rescued from something even greater, the consequences of our sin. And, and, we, and we have ahead of us a place of unparalleled beauty and joy and rest, a place with no more crying or pain or suffering, a place of perfection, of goodness and peace with God right there in the midst. That is something to hope for, isn't it? Yeah, that's what we've got coming. Who's been watching the World Cup recently? A few of us, yeah. Do you, ever, do you ever notice whenever they, you know, they kind of, they, shoot, they go away from the pitch and they, the camera pans to some of the, the fans and it's a really tense moment, maybe like a penalty shootout and there'll be fans like with their hands on their heads. I think we've got a picture, like some hands on their heads, biting their nails. Like, oh. Why? Because they don't know how it's going to end. It's going to be sadness for some of them, those for whom it doesn't go well and their team misses the penalty or whatever. But then there's going to be joy for those who win, but they don't know how it's going to end. But for us, for our lives, we don't need to have any of that uncertainty or nail biting. Our nails can be left alone, okay? Because we know it's going to end perfectly. We know it's going to end in victory. We know it's going to be good. You know, I've heard, I was listening uh, last week to the the song, yeah, it's coming home. Football's coming home. That song that came out was like 1996, I think. It's become probably the number one football anthem. I mean, around the world, really, not just in Britain. Um, it's coming home. And it's this whole kind of dream that the World Cup's going to come home to the home of football, which is England. It's all about us. England, yeah, go England. But I was thinking about that this week, you know, that song. I mean, I'm not going to change the lyrics and sing this because it would be really cheesy and Jamie would just like hang his head in shame and like would not talk to me for about a week. But the reality is, as believers, we're going home, you know? And it is cheesy and Andy is laughing. I know, but it's true. We're going home. It is. We're going home. And I promised I will not sing it. I would happily sing it, but there are too many people who would come at me, um, and that would be a problem. But yeah, we're, we're going home. As believers, we've got this great home that is waiting for us, that is coming for us, you know? And you know, I was thinking, isn't it just amazing that God is going to take all of world history, and he's going to tie it up so that it's, it's going to be good in the end, and it will be a good ending. It's hard to see right now, but he's going to do that. And we're going to be on the winning side. And it's, it's going to be better than anything on this earth. And that is why the sovereignty of God, God being in trouble, that's why it drives out fear. And that's why it brings us peace. And that's why it brings us security. Because we can trust that God's got it. God's got everything in his hands. And we don't, we don't got to worry about that. He's got everything.